Uh, but before I take off, there's a couple little things I want to do. Have did you get a diploma in the mail from Robbie Holt? He has asked me, but you don't have it yet. Okay, he's asked me. He asked me about that twice a week. The other thing, anybody hear what Phil Robertson had to say today? Oh, come on, the Duck Dynasty guy. Nobody heard. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you. Go find out. It's, uh, it's unreal. Now, don't be thinking about that while I'm talking, though. It's not. It's not that important. Okay. You know, this praise and worship team we've got is phenomenal. I'll, when I'm in the office, I'll sit at my desk, and there's, I don't know if you've got this Pandora program on your computers, but you can put whatever type of music on there you want. It's free, so I love it. But uh, I'll put, uh, say I'll punch in a radio station called Newsboys Radio, and it plays that type of music just over and on and on and on. Well, what I'm getting at is you'd be hard-pressed to find any music on that radio station continuously better than what we get exposed to every service here with this Praise and Worship team. They are fantastic. But anyway, let's pray for a second. Father, just thank you right now for the anointing, your anointing, on the delivery of these words and we confess, I confess according to Isaiah 55, 11, that your word's not going to return void. It's going to accomplish that task that you sent it out for. The thing that you had in mind when your Holy Spirit came over ancient men and they penned this stuff, Lord. It's going to accomplish that in Jesus' name. All right. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelts because i got a ton of stuff and we're going to have to hurry read a deal here the other day. Linda was showing me that uh, says when you're doing stuff like this, if you want people to listen to you and get something out of it, slow down. Well, I will do that next time. We ain't going to do it tonight. If you've, if you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 9. We're going to talk about the whole chapter tonight. It doesn't matter whether you got NIV, NLT, uh, what's it, uh, YLV, I call that Yoda living version, the Young's living version or something like that. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to read most of it to you anyway right out of the NLT. Follow along if you can. 2 Kings chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Elisha the prophet had summoned a member of the group of prophets, told him, Get ready to travel. Take this flask of oil, olive oil with you. Go to Ramoth Gilead. Find Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, Call him into a private room away from his friends. Pour oil over his head and say to him, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you to be king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. <laughs> so the young prophet did as he was told, and he went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting around with the other army officers. He said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, Which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. So Jehu left the others and went into the house. Then the young prophet poured the oil over Jehu's head and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the family of Ahab, your master. In this way, I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. 
the entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. I will destroy every one of his male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I will destroy the family of Ahab as I destroyed the families of Jeroboam, son of Nabat and Baasha, son of Ahijah. Dogs will eat Ahab's wife Jezebel at the plot of land in Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then the young prophet opened the door and ran. So Jehu goes back into his fellow officers, and they said, What did that crazy guy want, or what did that madman want, what the NLT says? And uh, Jehu says, Ah, oh, you know how a man like that babbles on. And they said, No, you're hiding something from us. Tell us. So Jehu, Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I've anointed you to be king over Israel. Well, they loved that idea. They jumped up, spread the blankets and coats and rugs and everything around, kind of set up a little uh, throne for him for a second. And, man, they were, they were with the program. Jehu is our king. So he built this. Uh, Jehu right quickly put this conspiracy together against uh, King Joram. But Joram was wounded in the... Uh, in another battle, and he'd returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds. So Jehu told the men that were with him, if you want me to be king, don't let anyone leave town and go to Jezreel to, to report what we've done. So then he gets in a chariot. We'll run through some of this pretty quick. He gets in a chariot, and he heads to Jezreel. Jezreel, however you want to say it. Man, I'm having trouble turning these pages. So here we are. Elijah, while alive, always warred against Jezebel, it seems like. Jezebel was married to King Ahab. There were kings over Judah and Israel, but no doubt Jezebel was the one in charge. It was a very dark time in the history of Israel. It rivaled the darkness and wickedness that was present during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, probably. Sexual immorality was commonplace and encouraged, and the prophets were massacred. Elijah had been taken up into heaven, if you remember, and he had anointed Elisha as his successor. Elisha had started the school of the prophets, and he had anointed Jehu, a military man, as king of Israel. So Jehu was in Ramoth Gilead that was, of course, sort of like a city of refuge. Maybe not quite as bad as a refugee camp, but something like that. It's great turmoil, political turmoil in the country at that time. But anyway, Jehu was in Ramoth Gilead just hanging out. Ahab's out of the picture. He's dead, but Jezebel's still very much in charge of everything and a force to be reckoned with. And Jezebel's living in Jezreel. So there's a king of Israel and a king of Judah. Both of them are evil and unrighteousness. Jezebel's still in control. So we have Elisha, Jehu, Jezebel, in Jezreel, Ramoth Gilead. I'm sure you got all that. Story keeps going on to Jehu gathering men, heading to Jezreel. He encounters the kings of Israel and Judah. They come out to meet him. It's a real funny exchange if you want to read it. Want to know what's going on, what he's doing. He makes some smart, eloquent remarks. He was kind of a bold guy, I think. Ends up, he kills both of them, and he proceeds to Jezreel, where Jezebel is thrown from a window and dies. So then Jehu is established, uncontested king of Israel. That's the end of that story. Now, look at Matthew 6, 6 in the message. These are far apart, they seem like. We're going to try to tie them together here. Matthew 6, 6 in the message says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. 
just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage, the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. This is the translation that we know in the King James of when you pray, go into the secret place. I love the last, the last sentence of it. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. Now remember where we were in this deal with Jehu. A very dark time in Israel. A lot of immorality around. All the prophets were being killed. This was the original dark ages. This was dark ages before they knew what dark ages were. But all that was about to change. All that was about to transition. Everything was about to be transformed. God was just about to close one chapter, and he was about to start a new one. He was about to shift the atmosphere of an entire nation, and he was about to change the game. His first step to changing the game or changing the atmosphere was to call out the man Jehu. One of the things that we have to grasp is that when God is preparing to change the atmosphere of a city, a nation, a people, the first thing he's going to do is call people out. You see, God doesn't anoint buildings and methods and structures and programs. He anoints people. The anointing of God rests on people. There's an author who lived back in the early 1900s called E.M. Bounds. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard of him? Uh, and he wrote a lot about prayer and things like that. One of the things he said that he wrote, he says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. Men are God's methods. It's you and I. We are God's methods. He doesn't come on machinery comes on men he doesn't anoint plans but men men of prayer the church is looking for better methods and God's looking for better men the atmosphere of this nation this church this people is about to change when he begins to move and change atmospheres he first calls out individuals he anoints individuals remember when God wanted to turn the hearts of the people of Nineveh what did he do he called out an individual. He called out Jonah. That's just how he operates. When he calls them out, he requires that they separate themselves. Jonah was separated. When God was about to call out Jehu, he sent the prophet to Jehu, who was sitting in Ramoth Gilead. But the requirement was that for Jehu to receive what God was about to release to him, he was first going to have to accept it and separate himself. So, <clears throat> Excuse me. The issue in our life is not necessarily always the call. You hear people talk about, well, this is when I realized I was called. This is when I knew that I was called. And they're usually talking about this is when they knew they were called to some kind of a pulpit ministry or something like that. Um, but I've come to believe that the call isn't necessarily the issue. See, every one of us is called. Every single one of us is called to change the world. 
Every single one of us is called to lead in whatever realm that we're operating in. Every single one of us is called to carry the presence of God. And all are called to be a part of a team that's making a difference in our world. When I was putting this together and I got to that point, I thought of Wayne and Kelly, always said over here. They do this Indian missions thing. And, you know, it sounded, I heard her story about how they got into that. It sounded like this guy offered them a boat anchor, you know, when this thing first started. I, the way she tells it, I would have run from that thing, you know. But what I'm getting at is what she does with getting all these clothes ready and, and all these supplies and getting them out to these people, it might not get the press and the exposure and the recognition that, uh, like the, the Nigel, is that his name, Big Pond, and, and the Jay Swallows and guys like that get. But I guarantee you, to the little kid that didn't have shoes for school or that's going to freeze this winter, you know, she is as important as any of those guys with the job that she does. And so what I'm getting at is the call doesn't have to be to be the leader of the band, you know. Uh, but it's just, it's just like our, our praise and worship team I was talking about. These guys over here are great in that thing. It's not the same without them. They are an integral part of it. And the whole thing put together is what makes it work. So when he said to go and disciple nations, he was speaking to everybody. What separates us out to him isn't the call. It's our response to the call. It's the call that separates you. Look at Isaiah 6, 8. Everybody's familiar with that. I love that scripture, that, that uh, little part. It's the one that starts out in the year when King Uzziah died, and it talks about the seraphims and, you know, the t two wings covered their face and their feet and all this stuff. But it goes down, says, Holy, holy, holy is God of the angel army. His bright glory fills the whole earth. The foundations trembled at the sound of the angel voices and then the whole house filled with smoke. And this is Isaiah talking. He says, and I said, doom. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using the words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king the God of the angel armies. Then one of the angel seraphs flew to me. He held a live coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with coal and said, ooh, this is where Jesus comes in. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, look, this coal has touched your lips. Gone is your guilt. Your sin's wiped out. And then I heard the voice of the master saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I spoke up, I'll go, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. And he gave him the message to take to the people. Same thing that we were talking about. Elisha tells that young prophet, you go to Ramoth Gilead, you find Jehu, I've got a message for him, I'm about to speak to him, and he's about to have an encounter with me. I'm going to send him to shift the atmosphere in an entire nation. But what was required of Jehu that Elisha was very clear about was that Jehu must separate himself. He must remove himself to an inner room. He was to stand up and separate himself to an inner room 
That was the requirement. That's what the prophet said he had to do. The issue wasn't the call on Jehu's life so much. The issue was the requirement that he separate himself to an inner room to receive from God. That was the requirement. Jesus said twice in the scriptures, and I'm going to tie this together, trust me. He said twice in the scriptures, many are called but few are chosen. Now, that has really bothered me in the past. And I could ask a question and see how many honest people we got in here. I will. Who understood that the first time they read it? No, you didn't. I'm not even going to give you a chance to raise your hand. (laughs) Nobody understood that the first time they read it. Most of us didn't understand it the hundredth time we read it. We read it, and we went back and reread it, and then we read it again, and we got real quiet for a second after we read it, waiting for some kind of heavy revy to hit us on top of the head to explain what that meant. You know, that's just what we did. And I thought about that. It's like a guy I was listening to the other day talking about it. He said, I read that and called and chosen, called and chosen. Okay, you got called and you got chosen. I'm over here called. But chosen's got to be a little more elite group, it sounds like. I want to be in this group. But how do I know? How do I get over here? It sounds like a catch-22, a riddle that you couldn't get a handle on, you couldn't understand. I want to be on this side of the line. How can I be on this side of the line if I don't know what the difference is between many are called and few are chosen? I've got to figure this out. It's really frustrating when you try to get a handle on it happens in the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew, the story goes like this. It was the story of a wedding banquet. We have a king sending out an announcement of his son's wedding. And if you read that, he's sending this announcement out to obviously previously notified and invited guests. These people just, this didn't hit them cold. They knew about this thing because he sent the announcements out and he said, hey, everything's ready. Show up. He did that three times. They had every kind of excuse in the world not to show up, why there wasn't, you know, why they couldn't be there. He said, hey, it's prepared. Everybody that wants to, come and partake. So finally, after three times, he sends word down, tells his guys, go down to the busiest corner, find some people. And I think that King James has compelled him to come in. Leads you to the idea of you grab him by the arm. Hey, we're going to the wedding, you know. So they come in. This thing ends up, this story ends up with the bit about the guy who showed up not properly attired, didn't have the wedding vestment on. And he was, they tossed him out. And that's a puzzler too, but I think that's a lot like a guy showing up with a hockey stick to a pool tournament. You know, imagine if uh, Bobby's getting ready to move this weekend, and I know it, and he asks some of us, can you help me, can you help me, can you help me? And everybody kind of tries to you know, ignore him. And finally somebody says, okay, I'll help. Because that's what, that's what would happen, isn't it? I read somewhere that that's the... Uh, that's the best way to tell true friendship in, the Uni- in America these days is somebody will help you move. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Bobby's moving. James finally says, I'll help. Bobby says, yeah, I pick you to help me. So he's chosen. The problem is 
James shows up to help Bobby move, and he's got on a scuba outfit or something. I don't know. It, he, he didn't use his head, you know, and that's what this guy didn't do. He knew he was going to this wedding. Back in those days, it was common practice for the people that were having the wedding to provide the wedding vestments. This guy just, he didn't, he didn't plan what he was doing. So anyway, when Christ told his story, he ends up by saying, this is what I mean when I say many get invited, only a few make it. Many are called, but few are chosen. The issue is not the call. The issue is the response. The reason many are called, but few are chosen, is there's only a few of the called that raise their hands. God comes in here and he says, you're called to disciple nations. You're called to lead in revival. Or you're called to give yourself fully for the glory of God in the earth. This is the mandate and the call on every one of our lives. What separates us is not the call on our life. It's whether you raise your hand. God comes in the place and he says, who will be the one? Who will be the one? It's like the account in Matthew. We can all come up with some good excuses, but the one who raises their hand and says, I'll do that, Jesus, or here am I, send me. And Jesus says, I choose you. The way you get chosen in the kingdom is to raise your hand. It's what's required in order to get recognized. The Lord has an anointing with an authority and a message for you, and the way you get it is to raise your hand. What he requires of us is that we respond and that we separate ourselves. You want to be in the chosen category instead of just the call category? Raise your hand. Say, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Everybody just about has probably heard of Catherine Kuhlman. Had a tremendous healing ministry. Catherine Kuhlman often said she thought she was the third person, or there were three other before her. She wasn't God's first choice is what she said. There were other people with other excuses, but she said she raised her hand. Folks, game's changing. As just like in Israel when Jehu was kicking back in Ramoth Gilead, he had no idea that God was setting things up for him. He had no idea that the king of Judah and the king of Israel were being bought to, brought to Jezreel, where Jezebel was of all things, all three of them in one location, so he could take them out and take care of the thing, just like the prophet had told him he was going to do, just like he told him it was God's plan to do. You ever watch a t-ball game? T-ball is sometimes the most painful thing in the world to watch. You go to a t-ball game, and they got this ball, baseball, they put on this thing they call a tee, and it's adjustable up and down. Well, this kid comes up, and half the time they're holding the wrong end of the bat. They take a swing at this thing, and it may be up here, it may be down here. It don't matter where it is, because they take about two swings, and then the coach comes out, and he kind of looks at where their swing was, and he moves that ball up or down to the direction you know, where their swing was. They can just keep swinging a mile off. They're going to hit that ball because he's going to keep putting it up there closer and closer until they get a shot at it. So what I'm getting at, some things are just so easy. It's like the Lord just sets them up. That's what was happening in Israel with Jehu there. The king of Judah comes up to Jezreel to visit the king of Israel. Jehu's there. The Lord's putting it all together. He's like telling Jehu, look, all you got to do is swing because this ain't going to be hard. 
but it requires a yes. Can you separate yourself so I can show you and tell you what to do? Even now, Lord setting things up in our world, our nation, our cities, our families, our lives. What's required of us is a yes. A willingness to separate ourselves to an inner room of prayer where the Lord can release something to us. Just, it's just like in the Old Testament in the year of Jubilee. That's what that was. God's setting things up for his people. He's putting it together for his people. Listen for instructions to get the blessing that was made available. God sets it up. Now, I like corporate gatherings, big church meetings. Uh, I've been to Benny Hinn and Robert Tilton. Anybody remember Robert Tilton from days gone by? Seen people get up out of wheelchairs. Did everybody attending get healed? Nah. Did all the healings last? Probably not. But you know what? Even Peter started to sink. You know? So... It's, that's just the way it is. I've been to Lester Summerall meetings. I've been to, here's one, I've been to Norval Hayes meetings. Anybody know, remember Norval Hayes? Had somebody tell me one time, you know, Norval Hayes could walk up to a parking lot and cast a demon out, and it, or a parking meter, and it'd come out, you know. But Oral Roberts meeting, Joel Osteen meetings, that huge thing we went to out in, at the Church of the Highlands with Chris Hodges' church, um, down at Gateway with uh, Robert Morris's church. All those things, good, inspirational, unique happenings. But there is an anointing and a relationship that you can get in that secret place when you separate yourself. You're not going to get anywhere else. The Lord's reserved it for those who separate themselves to his secret place. You can't find it anywhere else. It's in the secret place that you find the anointing for the fixes of the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of our world and our nation, our cities, our families, and our lives. Here's a random fact for you. There is such a thing as a Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. Anybody ever hear that thing? Did somebody say yes? I'm, I'm thinking, oh, no. Seychelles sheath-tailed bat. I can't. That, that, that's it. That's the last time I get to say it. This bat <laughs> can only be found on a chain of islands in the Indian Ocean, mostly on one island called Silhouette Island. It's, there's a few on some other islands. There's only about 100 of these things known to be in existence. These little bats are only about two inches long. They weigh less than a third of an ounce. They're probably the most extinct animal in the world. But if you feel like you've just got this urge in you that you've got to see this particular bat, only way you're going to see this thing is hop on a boat and go to the Indian Ocean. Now, a little closer to home, we've got this deal called the Lesser Prairie Chicken. Uh, now... Mr. Shepherd knows about that lesser prairie chicken. That thing, that is, yeah, I think it's a myth. I think it's a snipe is what I think. But anyway, they are out there, and you can't, certain times of the year, they just about shut 
our industry down. They, they close us up so bad. But you know what? If you want to see a lesser prairie chicken, you ain't going to see one in New York. Not going to see one in Oregon. You're probably going to have to be in the southern high plains or the southern plains of the United States. It's a very small area where these things can be found, if they can be found at all. <laughs> but uh, what I'm getting at, there is an anointing that God releases to you that can only be found in one place. And that's that secret place of separation to him. You can go to all the conferences and all of the meetings, big and small, that you want. You can grab all of the CDs, all of the DVDs you can get your hands on, but you're not going to find that anointing, that personal touch anointing that you find in that secret place when you've separated yourself to God. God's calling us and he's stirring us to the inner room of prayer because he's getting ready to change our Nineveh, folks. He intends to change the game, but we have to be willing to get alone with him in that secret place of prayer. When Jehu responded and separated himself, the first thing that happened was oil was poured on him. Always through the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. When you get a little time, do some study on what the Holy Spirit does for you. What he's here for, what he's been here for, what he's going to be here for. You hear people saying, and I know I've heard this, every one of you have heard this. I'm just having a hard time finding God right now. You know, I just just can't seem to get a hold of God. (laughs) God's not hard to find. Matthew 6 tells us where he is says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And there's that wonderful sentence. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. He's in the secret place. He's in the inner room. Not hard to find. If you'll set a time and a place to meet God, you'll find that he'll be there. I've never, ever known him to be a no-show. You know. The number one most important thing to be found in that secret place, one of the things we were singing about, is God's presence. He releases an anointing, an authority on your life. King David wasn't prepared for the palace in the palace. He was prepared out there alone with God. Moses wasn't prepared in uh, Pharaoh's palace. He was prepared on the backside of the desert, wasn't he? Again, this Ian Bounds says, God's men and women are made in secret. The Lord doesn't develop your life on stage. He develops your life in secret. He develops your life below the surface in hiding. In Isaiah, it says that God holds us in the palm of his hand so that we may come out a polished arrow. That's that's awesome. Another one of the more significant things you're going to find in that secret place, I love this, is the story of God for you. You see, there's a story... 
of God that's unfolding for each one of us, just like the prophet who anointed Jehu began relating to him the predicament of Israel at the time, remember, and told him what all he had to do. He said, your assignment is to attack the regime of Ahab. I am avenging the massacre of my servants, the prophet. Yes, the Jezebel massacre of all the prophets of God. The entire line of Ahab is doomed. I'm wiping out the entire bunch of that sad lot, he says. I'll see to it that the family of Ahab experiences the same fate as the family of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and family of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, the dogs will eat her carcass in the open fields of Jezreel. That is... <laughs> I'm usually not an Old Testament guy, uh, but this is just great. You read this account in, in two or three different versions. There, there's, there's some humor involved in, the, in putting that on paper. But God related to Jehu the story of how, what he had for him to do after he agreed to do it and, and, you know, and separated himself. It's hard to get discouraged and depressed in the inner room because it's there that, uh, that God reveals his plans to you, his plans for you, to you. I'm reminded of, I was calling it WWF wrestling the other night when I was talking to somebody. I thought it was WWE now or something. Maybe it's the other way around. Anyway, anybody ever watch that stuff? Nobody's going nobody's gonna to admit they watch that stuff. Everybody watches some of that stuff. Don't tell me that. It's always fun. Oh, I was just scanning through the channels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know the scene. Everybody knows the scene. There's usually a good guy and a bad guy kind of thing going on. And it starts out kind of even between the two of them. But the bad guy somehow begins to get the advantage. And he usually does it by some nefarious, underhanded, questionable, or even downright illegal move because he's a bad guy. And before long, the good guy's on the ropes. While the bad guy does his chicken strut or his pimp limp or whatever you want to call it around the room, you know. And I just embarrassed my wife. I'm sorry. Hey, this could be a lot worse. I want to tell you. I did this. I presented this same thing out to prison the other night. And they said, you know, you're going to have to tone this down a little bit if you're going to do this at your church. And I said, yeah. So I have. You guys, you guys get in the light version. But anyway, you've seen him, you know, the guy. He struts around because of the good guys hanging out on the ropes over there. And the crowd's just dismayed that this good guy can't seem to get it back together enough to overcome his dastardly opponent. And then it's like out of nowhere, this good guy's good juices get to boiling up. And... They rise to the top, and he comes up like a phoenix from the ashes of his own demise. Man, and he just starts to hammer that bad guy. He overcomes and right and might triumphs again. Sometimes in our life, Jezebel is ruling. Unrighteous kings are in place. But when I separate myself to the inner room, the Lord comes and says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's your part in what I'm going to do. Here's your part in what's happening. He's about to raise me up like the good guy in the face of that gloating WWF wrestler. See, this isn't the end of the story. This is the middle of the story. This is where it starts getting good. 
in the inner room, we don't pray what we see. We pray what he tells us. We don't operate by what we see and hear on the 6 o'clock news. We operate by what he tells us in the inner room. That becomes our reality, you know, more real than what other people perceive as reality. He tells us that we're about to triumph over Jezebel and the unrighteous kings and the house of Ahab and the horses that they all rode in on. I guarantee you, it's in the inner room that he begins to reveal his story and impart his anointing to pursue our part in that story. Think about John the Baptist. When people came to John the Baptist and asked who he was, remember what he told them? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. There's a clarity and a sharpness to John's self-identity and purpose because he not only understood that the Messiah was coming, he also understood his part in that happening. You know where he got that understanding? In the secret place of the desert. It was a separation to that desert place of prayer that the Lord began to reveal to him the story and his part in that story. So that as he came out of that inner room time with God, there was no confusion in his life. He knew who he was, and he knew why he was. When people came up to John and asked him who he was, they didn't get something like, I don't know, you know. Some people say I'm this, and some people say I'm that. Yeah, these guys over here, they say I'm something else, and tell you the truth I've been kind of wondering about that lately myself I don't, I don't know he no the clarity that comes with his revealing our place in his story is amazing I believe it was I think I'm right maybe not but I'm close so it's good I believe it was Amy Simple McPherson long ago to get alone with God before she ministered a lot of times sitting on stage she would put a fruit basket over her head I think it was her. It was one of those, though, am I, do you remember reading about that? It, it was one of those that uh, Robert Slaredon writes about in uh, God's, one of God's general's books. But that was the deal, to just separate herself and have some time alone and, and get her thoughts settled down enough to hear from God. She knew the value of that inner place experience. And... I'm reminded of a old family who used to live over by Quinlan, Oklahoma. Raised a couple of boys up. Their name was Brankle. And uh, these two boys were preachers. And man, they were they were the sons of Zebedee, I guarantee you. But uh, they talked about their mother and their grandmother going up. They grew up in this one-room house out there. And there were several of those boys. And they talked about when mom pulled that apron up over her head and sat down, you knew what she was doing. That was the only way she could get alone and get, get some, some peace and some quiet. But she was getting into that, that secret place. It was her way of, she had that little bitty inner room. She knew the value of that inner room experience. God's about to change the game. He's about to shift things. And each one of us is a critical part and relevant to what God intends to do in our realm. And it's in that inner room that we begin to understand our part and we begin to get 
his story about our part of what he's doing and what he wants to do with us. Praise God. Let's take a few minutes and find that inner room. What do you think? Let's do that. Just however, whatever works for you, you know, just get alone with God in your own mind for a few minutes. Yeah, can you drop the lights a little bit? You know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sit down and do the same thing, uh, Pastor. Whenever you feel like it, just go ahead and close us out, and uh, let's just see what God does. Thanks. Stay there a few more minutes. This may be the quietest that some of you have sat in months. Picture Jesus. Picture him with you. Some of you may want to picture the Father. Picture him with you. There's peace. You may want to take a deep breath.
I want to challenge you to do this tomorrow. To find a place. Find a place to get in His presence. I think it was in, in Kings, in the book of Kings, it said that He wasn't in the fire, He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. That he was in that still, small voice. just want to pray with you tonight and then we'll dismiss. Thank you, Father, as we take this presence with us tonight. I thank you that this tonight leads to a peaceful rest tonight for some that have had trouble sleeping at night, some that have had difficulty. I speak peace to anxiety and fear, peace that when we're in your presence, you calm the storms calm the waves speak to the winds and we position ourselves in your presence Father just speak to us those lovely things for the beloved that you love us you're proud of us. That we're important, valuable. As we find your presence, fill us up to overflowing because in your presence there's fullness of joy. We just speak this forth in your lives tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Tom. We appreciate that greatly. Amen. Amen. You guys go forth in his power and his might. Invite somebody Sunday. Um, bring, bring somebody with you. Be a disciple and bring somebody with you Sunday. We bless you. Have a great evening tonight. Please.